You are listening to Miller and Moulton, exclusively on the Florida Sports Network. And now, here's Mark Miller and David Moulton. Christian comes away, and Christian swings around his own goal and out to center. And Schneider with a long shot. Good save by Michigan. Off his hands to the far corner. Pavlich comes over. It's knocked down. Aruzioni! Shoot! And that's the radio call from 44 years ago. And the gentleman who scored that goal, Mike Garuzioni, was kind enough to reschedule and join us right now. Do you ever get tired of yahoos like us calling you up, wanting to talk about Lake Placid? No, not at all. Uh, you know, obviously over the years, my teammates and I have realized it was a special moment for a lot of different reasons. But, um, you know, it brings joy to people's faces. You know, people will come up to me and, uh, you know, they... They'll tell, tell me I, I remember where I was when we won, and I always go, "We, I didn't, I didn't know you were on the team." <laughs> it, it just, you know, it was one of those moments that captured the spirit of a country at a time when we were needing, you know, needed something, and we didn't know we we, we were just playing, never realizing the impact that the game had had. And uh, I told someone last week, I, you know, we could use a 1980 right now, um, but it was something that, uh, you know, depending on how old they were. Or are when they come up to me, they'll say, "I remember where I was when D-Day. I remember where I was on 9/11. I remember where I was when the Challenger blew up. Um, I remember where I was when Kennedy was. You know, all these things are sad, tragic stories, and then they'll bring up our story. So it's pretty special. Looking back at the at the event, the whole weeks from the game against Sweden, pulling the goalie and tying it to whooping up on the Czech Rep- the Czechoslovakian team, was there a moment that you guys? When did you start believing what could happen happened? Well, you know, I, I think going into the games, we felt we had a chance to win a medal. Uh, and, and I, again, it's that old cliche. If you think you're going to lose, you probably will. So, you know, you had to have a mindset of believing that we could play and, and, and do something special. And probably it was after the Czechoslovakian game. You know, that was the only team that anybody thought could give the Soviets a game. And and we pretty well dominated that game. I think we beat them 7-3. to three. So, Maybe it was after that game with you know we and then that maybe even the fans and the public started to think that maybe the team's got a chance to do something. The night of February twenty second, there are, we've had a lot of people send in things that they would like us to ask you, and a lot of it has to do with the movie. You know the speech that was portrayed from Coach Brooks. Was that the speech? You know how much of the movie when you watch it you go, oh wow, that's that's right on the money. There were there were obviously a few scenes in the movie that were pretty dead on. Um, you know, Herb, Herb's a lot friendlier in the movie. So <laughs> <laughs> kind of one of the things we picked up as a team. Uh, the speech in the movie was a lot longer than what he had said. Uh, I remember it as you were born to be a player. You were meant to be here. Uh, this moment is yours. But. The day before in practice, he talked a lot about they're ripe, they're ready to be beat. If anybody can beat them, you guys can. So he was very positive and very upbeat in practice the day before. And I think some of the things he said in the speech in the movie were things he said to us the day before in practice. 
uh, I, albeit a little more colorful, right? I mean, the 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 herb from what I the, the stories I know from the people I worked with in hockey, and I spent a lot of time working in minor hockey, Mike. But uh, the the coaches that I knew that knew him said he may have been as colorful with the language as any coach that there ever was. Yeah, he was, but he, he you know, it's interesting. He, you know, he, he very rarely heard the f bomb from him, um, but he was very adamant when he discussed and talked. I mean, he was very deliberate. He was very to the point. Um, there was no BS with Herb, um, and you know that's how coaches coached in the seventies and eighties. You know, my my high school football, baseball, and, and hockey coaches, my college coach at Jack Parker, Boston University. You know, guys that just had a passion to coach and teach and, and to get their point across, and and that's just the way it was. And you deal with it. You know, what are you going to do? Quit because the coach is hard on you? Well, you better find some, you know something else to do. So, you know, I I think you know again, Herb was demanding and challenging, but. Uh, two things we we have about Herb, and, and I think this is true in coaching: uh, we respected him and we trusted him. And if you don't respect your coach and if you don't trust your coach, you're in trouble. And I think we had that understanding with him right from the beginning. Mike Ruzioni, captain of the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team, he also authored "The Making of a Miracle," and it is out there, and you can find it if you are so inclined. Follow Mike on. Twix, as we like to say, Twitter and X at M. Aruzioni, M. Aruzioni. Uh, many scenes in that movie, like you said, we trusted him. Did you trust him from the beginning? Or like, you know, the movie portrays it as he had to learn to trust you guys. All right. You know, in the famous scene where it was you who correctly, you know, identified who we are as a team. Did that really happen, by the way, after a, a game? Well, we did. We did skate, um, and not all of us skated that night. Only fifteen of us skated because Buzzy Schneider got thrown out for fighting, and only sixteen of us dressed. And and we did the Herbies. We did them for about an hour and a half, an hour and twenty minutes. They shut the lights off at the end and. I remember it as Mark Johnson smashing a stick against the glass, and after doing him for so long, Herb said, "If I hear another stick break against the glass, you'll skate till you die." Well, nobody said a word, and then we went back in the locker room, and he said, "If you play this way again tomorrow, you're going to skate again." Well, we went eight to nothing the next day, uh, so point was well taken and very well understood. But the thing about you know again about Herb and, and our team. There were nine guys in the team who played under him at the University of Minnesota. So they kind of knew his act, uh, and they knew what it was like to play for him. And, and they were, you know, very helpful to all of us who didn't really know a lot about him, especially early, um, you know, what to expect and what it was going to be like. So, we, you know, we kind of understood it. But, again, like I said earlier, that's the option. What are you going to do, quit and go home? Uh, you know, you only got to deal with your coach for a couple hours. Then after practice is over, you go out and go out with, you know, with the guys and, go wherever you're going to go, and then back to you know your apartment or back to the hotel if we were on the road and get up the next day and go at it again. But that's just the way it was going to be. And like I said, I, I'm not quitting. <laughs> you know, you can yell at me all you want. Well, and there's no, there was no quitting the team, obviously, and uh, legendary stuff in beating the Russians. When you get them to take the number one goalie out of the game, were you aware of that? I mean, when, when Trechek gets pulled, how conscious were you guys on the bench of that? Well, I think for us, you know, Michigan was the backup, and he was the guy that shut out the NHL All-Stars 6 to nothing. so it's not like, you know, their backup was not a great goaltender. You know, Trediak had led in two goals in the first period, very uncharacteristic. Maybe he was having a bad night. We never thought about anything other than worrying about what we needed to do. 
Um, and again, I think that's a great, you know, tactic in the way Herb approached the Olympic Games. You know, so many times when I saw that in the movie, play your game, play your game, he constantly said that to us. We were never concerned about what other teams were doing. We needed to do the things that we needed to do in order to win and, and to play our game. And if we got behind by a bunch of goals, maybe we would have to have changed the way we were playing. But the fact that the games we were playing all stayed within a goal of each other, we continued to play our game. So regardless of who their goaltender was, we didn't care. We had to play our game and not worry about what they were going to do. Mike, they dominated you guys in the second period. I think shots were 16-3. You know, what was said in between the second and the third? Did you still believe, if you know what I mean? Yeah, well, you know, you're only down a goal. I mean, we've all played in hockey games where one team maybe takes control over another and he's still in the game. Uh, you know, again, if we were down three or four, then now we're gone. Now it's over. But the fact that we stayed within one, uh, Jimmy played great in the second period, and then we kind of took over in the third period. And, you know, we did have some penalties in the second period, which didn't help us. Um, but in order to win games like that, everybody's got to contribute. Everybody's got to help out. Everybody's, you know, got to do their job. And and I think we hung in there with that second period and came out in the third period. And I'm going to give you a statistic that was actually told to me a few years ago by Robbie McClanahan, uh, one of my teammates. It's an amazing number. In the third period of the Olympics, we outscored our opponents 16-3. to uh, That's incredible. That's an unbelievable statistic. And I think that shows the speed and the skill and the conditioning of our team. And, you know, after I scored, there were 10 minutes left, and it was a long 10 minutes. I've only seen the game twice, and it was like two years ago I think I saw it. In the third period after I scored, I think they only had six shots on goal. Um, you know, in the movie, it, it, it kind of flipped it a little as if we weren't even out there at the end of the game, and it was just save, save, save. But when you watch the game, um, we really kind of took over in, in, in those last ten minutes. And, you know, it was the quick shifts. I know that was pointed out in the the the, the trainer with the stopwatch and and the, you know you guys obviously the legs were there and the endurance of this team uh, that's unpro- I mean sixteen to three in the third period says a lot about the conditioning of the team doesn't it? Absolutely, and you know we played four lines. Uh, you know we didn't just play you know the four lines and three lines and two lines and something like that. We 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 sent out four lines constantly. Uh, some of your shifts might have been thirty seconds. 25 seconds, and the next line, you know, would go over the boards. And, you know, maybe the only line that stayed out a little longer might have been Mark Johnson's line because, Mark, you know, without Mark Johnson, we don't win. So, you know, for the most part, we just kept, just kept, you know, sending guys over and out you go and off you come and out you go and off you come. And, you know, next thing you know, like I said, the, the period's over and, and you win the game. Did you know that was the last time you were going to play hockey? No, I wasn't sure what I was going to do after the Olympics. I had some offers, uh, even going into the Olympics, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Uh, you know, the Rangers, Buffalo, Minnesota were going to sign me uh, after the games. And I just kind of sat back and thought about my career as a hockey player. And, you know, at 25 years old, it was time to move on. And, uh, you know, it's not like today. Somebody said, here's $50 million. <laughs> I, I guess I'll play. Uh, you know, for me, it was peace of mind. It was time to move on. I thought about even going to Italy uh, and playing overseas. But... Uh, you know, my dad always said to me, at some point in, in life, the game ends, and you got to make a decision. And I made a decision at that point that it was time to move on, and I was going to get into coaching and teaching uh, because I didn't know this thing was a big event. We didn't, as a team, know. And then all of a sudden, my life took a little di- different path. And uh, it, as I tell my friends all the time, I'm, thank God we won. 
<laughs> Mike, we got about 30 seconds. You sent out a tweet last night. What a great night in Chicago to honor two of the greatest American players, Patrick Kane and Chris Chelios. Mike, it really it seems as if American hockey started with you guys, even though the U.S. had won the gold in 60. It seems as if you guys started what American hockey now is today. I, I think we opened the door for, one, the American player, and two, the college player. The NHL didn't have maybe any Americans, maybe one or two, maybe a couple of college guys. You know, In those days, if you didn't play major junior, you, you, know, you couldn't play in the NHL, which is not true. But we opened the door. They've knocked it down. Uh, you know, the Chelios is, yep. um, you know, you look at Austin Matthews out of Phoenix and out of Arizona, uh, where our players are coming from now. I work at Boston University. And, you know, we're recruiting all over the country where before it was Minnesota, Massachusetts, Michigan. So the growth of the game, the sport of the game, uh, the, the talent and the skill level of the game and the Americans that play it, not only our men, let's put a nod out to our women and how far they've come and how great our women's teams are. So it, it's a great, the hockey's in a great state in this country and we've got some great players. Mike Ruzzioni, thanks for your time. Congratulations on all of your success. The great Mike Ruzzioni here on Miller and Moulton. It's probably the worst thing. And welcome back, Miller Moulton, blah, 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 Florida Sports Network, you know, yeah, whatever. Uh, probably the worst thing about us getting syndicated is that we didn't have hard breaks. Ever. For, for the first 15 plus years that we did a show. So we could just, you know, you get Mike Ruzzioni on, you just go for as long as you sensed he'd be willing to go with you and, as long as we could hold up our end and ask decent questions. Unfortunately, now it's like, uh, yeah, we got to break at 14 after. We got 13 minutes to go. Yeah, we got we we lost a lap there, David. We hit pit road way too fast. Yeah, we did. And it's a shame because we could obviously. Now we need a lucky dog to get back in the show. That's all. <laughs> Not a corn dog, which is the play that you call to win the Super Bowl. You need a lucky dog. How great is that? especially for us who like to eat, that the winning play in the Super Bowl was corn dog. That's great. And that, you know, you got a fat coach calling it too. I mean, that's what you want. You don't want Sean McVay calling corn dog. You want Andy Reid. want a fat guy. So you'll probably be upset with me, David. But uh, I played I played in the golf tour over the weekend. Guy I played with every year was hurt. So I had to find a sub and had a great guy. Bob was awesome. Super nice guy. Really enjoyed my time with him. Except after yesterday. They had a little meal when we were done. And one of the things they had were hot dogs. Right. And I look over at Bob's plate as I'm eating my hot dog with mustard. And they had a they had chili dog station. So I have oh. chili and mustard and onions. I got this beautiful hot dog. And I look oh, over no. at his plate. No. And there's ketchup only on his hot dog. Oh! He's out <sighs> for next year. That's it. He's done. I, I, there are other people at the table. I didn't want to confront him on this, but I'm like, what right. the hell is going on? Yeah, spent, it. It's over. Spent eight, eight, nine hours. I mean, these were long rounds. Spent nine yeah. hours with the guy. It's a good thing you didn't find out till after because you would have WD. Unbelievable. Do about, how do you feel about mustard only? That's, that's the way it should be. That's what my dad does. Because he eats a hot dog properly. <laughs> This is a deal breaker, Trent. This is. No, no, no. This, Trent, I'm not kidding. All right? We wouldn't have hired you 
okay, if we knew you were a ketchup on a hot dog guy. And we had no other options. Trent, literally, you've probably never looked at my ex bio, but the very first words on my ex bio say, ketchup on a hot dog should be a felony. Okay, so clearly you guys feel some type of way about this. This isn't just like a radio shtick you're doing right now. No, no, no. It's the real deal. No, no, no. We're not a stick show. We're really not. (laughs) The stuff that we do that sounds like stick, that's just a way of us trying to dress up our quirks. (laughs) No, no, no. Ah, their stick is funny. No, it's not stick, man. That's who they are. No, it is. No, no, this is a deal breaker. This is officially a deal breaker for the two of us. So it's just mustard, nothing else. You can well, do just not do ketchup. a coney dog. If you can do chili, mustard, and onions. Okay. I, I prefer mustard, onions, and pickles on a hot dog, but Rel- I don't okay. put ketchup. I was ask no, pickles. no relish, pickles. Pickles. Actual pickles. It's anything but ketchup. Literally. <laughs> a Chicago dog with all of those spices on a Chicago dog. You okay. know what it doesn't have on it? Ketchup. Ketchup. All right. I never really thought about this, but I, I guess all. you guys have a great point. And as your dad would know, as someone who I'm quite certain attended a game at Tiger Stadium. Yeah. When you went to Tiger Stadium, the hot dogs, the great, great dogs, the ballpark Franks at Tiger Stadium, and the old in the old days, the uh, vendors had a beer cup full of mustard with basically a popsicle stick. In there, and that's that's how they put the mustard. That, that was your choice. You wanted ketchup, you didn't get ketchup. Nice. I think I'm gonna have to go get a hot dog at Costco and put only mustard on it. I mean, I'd put WD-40 on a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so that's that's how much of a deal breaker it is with Miller and Moulton. That's all. No big thing or anything. Our poll question today is about court storming. Uh, should we do away with it? Yay or nay? Uh, We want to keep it, but uh, it's getting hard, and we're not quite sure how to come up with, um, I don't know, incentive, threat of punishment to make it better while still keeping it. 60-40 right now saying it's not time to ban court storming. That's actually a lot closer than I think it needs to be. If our audience is close to the national sentiment and the sentiment within, because I think the sentiment in college athletics, who will be making this decision? Commissioners. Who do commissioners talk to? University presidents and lawyers. So I think it needs to be by a bigger margin for the colleges to keep this, because we all know they're only out for themselves. They don't care about the fan. They don't care about hell. They don't care about the athlete. Okay. They're forced to take care of the athlete. Now they went kicking and screaming. I'm with you, David. If this was 80, 20, I'd go, well, it's got to, it's going to stay. Right. Right. I was hoping for at least 70, 30 for those that want to keep, you know, court storming as an option. And I think, you know, a couple people have said it's basically jumped the shark to them. I think it depends on who does the storming. Like we didn't like Syracuse storming the court when they beat Carolina a couple of weeks ago. It was, we wanted to say to the student body, guys, I know the last couple of years haven't been ideal. You're Syracuse. 
okay, you, you've won a lot of games. You really have. You don't storm the court. Wake Forest hasn't won a lot of games lately. In fact, that was their best win in like five years. They so, were favored for the record. I, I mean, the fact of the matter is they were favored in the game. How do you storm the court when you're favored to win the game? And I know it's Duke, and everybody likes to storm the court against Duke when they beat Duke. But I think we all expected it in Winston-Salem. Some of us were shocked when they were storming the court in Syracuse. We're like, seriously? You know, like when K-State beat Kansas a couple years ago. Their first-year coach, Jerome Tang, he's like, okay, this is the last time, by the way, because we're going to do this every year. All right, we're going – and what did they do this time? When they're up with a few seconds left, he turned and looked at the crowd and said, stay in your seats, okay? This is what we do now. They come here, we beat them. Got it? And the crowd stayed in their seats. Okay, now we're talking. And – Come on, is there any coach that has more power over their program than the college basketball, the big-time college basketball coach? I mean, even more so, I mean, I don't, you know, Nick could have stopped an Alabama crowd from storming the court. <laughs> yes, he could have. <laughs> by putting one finger up. Just right. hold on a second. I, I, And I think Kirby, I think they'd listen to Kirby now in Athens. It took the second title, though. They still would have stormed the place after yes. the first time. The second title, it's like, oh, okay, we'll put up with you. You know, you're a little ornery, but, you know. But, I mean, Trent and I's guy, Izzo, could put his hand up and stop a court storming. Right. There's there's 10 college basketball coaches easy that could do that. I don't think there are 10 in football that could. No, I mean, Ryan Day could have three years ago. You know, he had beaten Michigan. Now, you know, now he can't. But Harbaugh could have. The, what, you guys yeah. don't think Brian Kelly at LSU can uh <laughs> Well, I think it depends up? on the accent. All right? If they grab the microphone, I think it depends on the accent. But so that's our poll question. You know, we doing away with the court storming, yay or nay? That Mark Miller, the David Moulton, FloridaSportsNetwork.com. Shelby Mast, we're going to do bracketology next. Welcome back to Miller and Moulton, only on the Florida Sports Network. 22 minutes till the top of the hour. It's a pleasure to welcome back Shelby Mast. He of BracketWag.com. That's his site, BracketWag.com. He's also the bracketologist for CollegeInsider.com. Follow Shelby on Twix, Twitter slash X at BracketWag.wag. Shelby, it's David and Mark. Thanks for your time. How you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? Well, I'm good, although I have a feeling you and I are going to get off to a rough start here. So does South Florida have any chance of an at-large? They've won 13 in a row. Let's just say they they win all the way to the American Conference Final, and then they lose. Can they get in? I would love to see them in the tournament, but I just don't think the resume is strong enough. They've you know, if they did what you said in your scenario, they will have won the regular season title and got to the finals. But there's just not enough meat on their resume to where I think they'll be given serious consideration. 
Is the AAC a one-bid league this year, Shelby? I think so. I don't think Florida Atlantic, uh, is. they've had a pretty good season, but it's just pretty good. Uh, you know, we were, I was on a podcast last night. We were talking about you know, a team from that conference. Where would you see them? And we didn't have – we had Florida Atlantic at about 10 or 11, and anybody else was about 13 to 14, and so that's not a good sign. Right now, you have FAU as a 10. So, what do they have to do then for you? Win out the regular season, make it to the conference final, and they maybe still get in? Maybe. Because that big win over Arizona is going to carry a lot of weight. Um, But they've got some real stinker losses. But I, I think the good can outweigh the bad. It usually does. Uh, but they can't lose any more games. And uh, you now on the road at Memphis, that's not bad. Memphis is a, a decent enough team. But you know, don't don't lose to the bottom half, and definitely don't lose first round of the tournament. The Florida Gators have found their mojo. They're playing really good basketball right now. You have them as a six seed. How high could it get for the Gators if they keep on keeping on? I think they could possibly get to the five line and the four line I think is a little out of reach but the five line uh, would be good for them they weren't in anybody's bracket a couple of weeks ago and they have quietly slowly made their way up I've, I've got them a lot for the tournament I think they're already set but uh, all that remains is the seating is this a good or a bad year for the quote-unquote mid-majors to get at-larges? Like I saw Drake got beat over the weekend. Does that make the Valley a one-bid league? I mean, is, how many mid-major at-larges are you sensing this year? Not many, well, especially since you know Gonzaga is in my uh, last four in. Uh, that's probably the best of the bunch. Yeah, if you want to consider the Pac-12 a mid-major this year, then go ahead. That's fair, and they'll they'll get another team. But I I don't I think Dayton if they don't win their tournament, they will probably get in. But other than that, they're just not going to be much. They they keep shooting themselves in the foot. Shelby, my Spartans blew another one yesterday. How uh, close are they to having to be a bubble team? Because it looks like they're going in the wrong direction. Yeah, they are, and I, I told somebody yesterday morning that they've got to stop having these stupid losses. There's no way they should lose at home to Ohio State or at Iowa. Then it shouldn't happen, but they keep finding a way to do it. And I've got them on the nine line this morning. I don't feel good about that. I think they should be lower. And if they keep this up, they're really going to be nervous on selection of Sunday. Talking to Shelby Mast, he's a bracketologist, bracketwag.com, bracketwag.com, also collegeinsider.com. Follow Shelby on Twix, Twitter slash X at bracketwag, W-A-G. Normally, Shelby, you know, you've come on our show for years. We advocate, if not for the little guy, for the middle-sized guy. We were pounding the table last year to get the Mountain West a bunch of bids. They did. They were terrible in the tournament. Meanwhile, yeah. the ACC has been getting less and less bids, and all the ACC is doing is getting in the tournament and going deep. 
and it seems as if the same scenario is playing out again. They're talking six for the Mountain West, and the ACC is scratching and clawing to get five. At what point, Shelby, does success in March affect who gets in and who gets out? It's not supposed to affect it at all. It, it, you know, it's how you did during the season. You know, forget about last year, the year before, whatever. And, and you do you base it on their merit for the the current year. And you know that Mountain West was ugly last year, except San Diego State. But uh, I think they they're going to be good. They're going to like selection someday. But they they need to perform for the public. You don't want that. the public outcry to be, you know, to be loud. And I, the committee shouldn't pay attention to that, but I guarantee they might. What's Pitt got to do? You know, one of those ACC teams that you have in the second four out, what's Pitt got to do to get themselves in the tournament? They probably went out the regular season. There's only four games left. And probably win two, maybe three in the ACC tournament. Tall order, tall order yeah. indeed for Pitt, and that uh, it it looks as if say you know probably the same type of thing for the any of those teams in that next four out. It's basically you can't lose anymore, can you? Pretty much, yeah. If you do lose, be one that's acceptable in the, in the committee's eyes, you know, at a higher ranked team, a close margin, but don't go like A and M Saturday night, play at Tennessee and lose by thirty something. You have New Mexico out. Why? I do. They that game the other night. They lose a quad four game at home. You just can't do that if you're that close to the bubble. They've got some good wins, but they got some bad losses too. And I, I, I don't want them to be out, but I, I couldn't put them in. Your one seeds are Connecticut, Purdue, Houston, and Arizona. Is there any chance for anyone, Tennessee, North Carolina, Marquette, is there any chance for anybody to sneak up and steal a one seed? I think North Carolina's probably got the best chance because they played Duke, and they might have a couple of those close ones. I don't know yet. But Arizona, I think if you know, they lost at home last week to Washington State, that was not a bad loss. But you've got to – they don't have the quality opponents on their resume that North Carolina does. Not that Carolina is that strong, but Carolina's got a lot of road wins. Arizona doesn't. They could be uh, interesting on selection Sunday for the last one spot. How many bids you see the Pac-12 getting? This has been a shockingly bad year out there. Yeah, I've got them. I think they're going to get two for sure. I've got three right now. I'm not sold on Colorado. Uh, Utah's falling apart. Uh, You know, there's nobody else left. And I think three would be generous, but I'm comfortable with two. You know, I'm looking at your 12 line, and I know you don't get into predicting games, but of all the the Sanford, Grand Canyon, Indiana State, McNeese State, some gaudy records for some of these teams. Is there a team on the 12-13 line when they get in that you like to do some damage this year? Well, I'd been saying uh, Grand Canyon and McNeese. Uh, Grand Canyon lost two times this, week, this past week in Texas, and so you know to, to bad teams. So I'm not as sold on them as I was. I think McNeese uh, because they've got a, a good D1 coach, Will Wade. 
Uh, I think they could make some noise, uh, but I, further down that, I don't, I don't know them well enough to, to say yes or no. I don't think so. Tennessee, you do know that coach never does anything in March, but you're just judging the regular season. You got them on a two line, but when you watch them, do you see this Tennessee Rick Barnes team being different from past ones? I I don't know. It's going to be tough. I I like Tennessee. I like Rick Barnes. I think they've got a very good team, but I got to got to you know his tracker here to March is not great. So that you know. If I were a betting man, I would not bet on them. And then on your last four in, Wake Forest, they just got in, obviously, with that win over Duke on the weekend. Old Miss is a team that's been up and down. Old Miss, to me, is the one that's got the most work to do. Who of the last four in, in your eyes, has the most work to stay in the last four? I, I think Old Miss. They've got they, they've got a decent record, but their uh, non-conference strength of the schedule is horrible. And they've really they they're in a position where they can't lose any bad games. How about Nova? That's a crazy resume right now. Some bad losses. I mean, for goodness, did they beat anybody in the Big Five in Philly? And then they've got two or three marquee wins. They just got whacked by UConn. Where are you with Nova? Yeah, they're they're my first team out. They're one of those that you know flip a coin to what you're going to get each day. You never know. And they, they can turn it on, and they can just not show up for a game. So, you, you know, that's going to be them and uh, Michigan State are going to be very interesting come election Sunday. Yeah, I somehow I, I see Izzo in a play-in game unless he, yeah. you know, March becomes Izzo again. Shelby, thanks for making time for us. We really appreciate it. All the best to you and the family. Stay well. Glad to do it. Thanks for having me. Shelby Mast. Bracketwag.com, bracketwag.com. Mark loves bracketwag.com every day for what, two months now? Yeah. You, you, you go to it every day? Every day. Well, it's it, of all of the bracket sites, to me, it's the easiest to read and digest. I like lists. I don't need a paragraph with circles and arrows and a paragraph on the back of each one explaining to me what it was. I just want to see who he's got in. Who are the ones? Who are the who are the you know who are the twelves? And uh, he, I think he does a really good job with with his site. He does. He kills it. And he's got Florida six. He's got FAU at ten. And what is interesting is he has different categories. You know, and we all know last four in, first four out, next four out. We all know that. But he's got others to be considered. Those on life support, where I guess if they win all the rest of their games but maybe lose the conference final, maybe. But then he's got no longer considered for an at-large bid. And the Miami Hurricanes are on that list for him right now, which that's not a hard one. but And we can't – we can't get him to put South Florida in the tournament unless they win the American. It's the only way he's got. A, he's got the American as a one bid league, David. I think if if FAU gets to the final, they're going to get an at large. They are. They're going to get an at large. We'll they have see. Seven losses right now. I do think they have to finish the regular season without picking up another loss. 
So let's that's two, three more. Okay, then they go get a couple in the American tournament, lose in the final. I mean, you're talking about what a 25 and eight FAU team with the win at Arizona. They would probably get in in that regard, and that's that's the only way. That's a two bid league, though. You got to remember USF for all the good things they done. They lost at Central Michigan. Oh well, and FAU lost at FGCU. Right, right. But oh yeah, but USF doesn't have the win. They don't have the Arizona right win that FAU has. Yeah, Mark, I think you're exactly right. I think the only way they get two bids is if FAU makes a run in their conference tournament but comes up a little short, and then whoever wins obviously gets the auto. So it could happen. That's I'm hoping the roadmap. So. I'm hoping so for USF. What a great season South Florida's had and having. Great win again yesterday, beating SMU. Beat them by 11, by the way. SMU was favored by two and a half which we jumped all over. We're like, what is going on here? We understood if South Florida was only a two and a half point favorite, whatever, you know, but wait, SMU's favored. I mean, they are getting, this is the Rodney Dangerfield team in all of college basketball right now. Everybody's waiting for it to end. They, they think they're a fluke. Yes. That's what the college basketball world is saying to South Florida. This is cute. You guys are a fluke. I don't know. He just did it at Kennesaw State. He can coach. Yeah. Got you know, we had that senior guard on. The guys believe in him. Well, and that young is it young blood? He can play. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've they've got a couple of players, they've got good leadership on that team, and he can flat out coach. Well coached teams with seniority always play well late in the season. It's, always. It's the, old, it's the old adage. You're trying to get old and stay old. As a big loss for Drake over the weekend. Drake was in it. They, they Drake hasn't really played anybody. They've they've just got twenty five wins, but they haven't really played anybody. But you know me, Mark. I'm rooting for the mid majors. I want mid majors. <laughs>